Welcome to the Mother Forkin' Podcast. Mother Podcast. Where we feed you some real shit on parenting. Hey, Celeste. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Oh, you know, uh, prior to us hopping on here, actually, I, I text you <laughs> and I was like, Lord, help me. I am going nuts with these kids. And <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know what it is lately, but I just my I, me, I mean, I am just, you know, getting off my period. So it could be that, but definitely a little bit more irritable. Like yes. Period, and it's patience. like, yeah, dude. And I mean, you know, I'm trying to have a conversation like an adult real life, you know, talk about finances, talk about our day, talk about things that just don't involve kids, you know? And as soon as Crystal and I have these conversations, it's like the kids sense it or like you oh, hop yeah. on the phone or you're trying to do something. They know. Oh my, why? Even, even just resting. Oh, you look too comfy. The I minute you sit back down. on me. Yes. Briggs just turned three. Adrian's four and a half. Yes, it's like, dude, did. you guys should be ready to like move out, take on the world, be totally <laughs> on your own. Right. Get out of here. I mentioned before that this year I started therapy and uh, because of the pandemic, the easiest mm. way is to do it, you know, via online. And so Sometimes that means I have Enzo and I try to schedule it. Well, at least I have one down. So Nico is sleeping and Enzo just, he just knows that my attention is with my therapist and he does the most craziest shit that he's not supposed to. Like the other day he went and got into like this special area of like stuff that I keep, you know, only for when an adult's watching and he went and grabbed paint and just like full on went and just started painting right by the carpet. Oh, and I'm just like, you're going to have to give me a second. (laughs) Oh God! <laughs> like, he knows he knows it's like oh, okay you're definitely not paying attention to me and so I'm just gonna do the baddest thing I could think of while your therapist is just right? full-on watching oh, but was, I guess she that's was cracking up I was yeah like, this is not helping <laughs> right I was gonna say I guess it's good practice for you to show her like hey you know this the, these yeah, sessions this are is... working my patience is but then the minute oh, yeah. like you know you turn the screen off it's like <laughs> what are you doing I know right oh, well man, good man. news is I'm taking a little break we're gonna be going to Mexico and Saturday for a few days. And I just, but it's funny. So when I was texting you this morning about this, you were like, but the minute that you leave, you're going to be like, Oh my God, I miss you. I can't wait to see you. And it's so, it is like that. Or even the minute they even go to sleep, I'm like, Oh God, it's nice to have this break, but man, I can't wait to see them again in the morning. It really is the weirdest thing. I wonder if like, dads feel the same way like moms but we're always like I need a picture you know what I mean like yeah my, my husband or Justin would be like you don't need a picture you just drop them off and I'm like but yeah I kind of want to see them oh, <laughs> it's so see? weird motherhood no well That's anyway good. so we today have a pretty heavy topic but one that absolutely needs to be addressed and um, this guy reached out to me his name's Jeff Lee or Jeffrey A. Lee. And he reached out to me on my bookstagram account on Instagram. And he was like, Hey, I have this book I just recently published. Would you like to 
read it, you know, review it, all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, let me, what is it about? And it's called Online Predators and Internet Insurgency, a field manual for teaching and parenting in the digital arena. And I was like, what, what is that? It's this book that he wrote literally all about online predators, how to protect your children, how we as parents, stakeholders, uh, educators, guardians, whoever you are out there can protect our children. So we're very excited to have him on. We each read the book. We were texting each other like, whoa, this is sick. So definitely trigger warning. Yeah. Like not in a, whoa, sick, cool. This, it was just very alarming. It hits you hard because you're like, this is our reality living in a digital world. So this is a topic, like Megan said, very needed. I know I've talked to a few friends, they have teenagers and and where does that all begin? How can we help be involved in internet safety and all that? Mm -hmm. So this is a really great topic. We're going to go ahead and get them on. All right. Let's dive in, right? Okay. We have Jeff Lee here with us. Uh, He is a career law enforcement professional with over 20 years of experience. He's a master Texas peace officer with a certification in cybercrime investigations with a wide background in digital forensics and the conduct of criminal investigations. He also possesses a bachelor's degree in law enforcement and police science from Sam Houston State University, Houston, Texas. Uh, Jeff currently supervises a criminal investigations unit in Houston, and he's been married for over 20 years and has three signs my goodness here we thought we were like the mvps because we have two boys but this guy has three sons jeff how do you do that well the real mvp of this whole thing is my wife she's uh (laughs) there you go she's the one that uh that basically keeps the you know everything in line the way that uh the way that it should be i just uh, i'm just along for the ride (laughs) that's awesome how old are your boys uh 21 16, almost 17 next month, and 14. Oh, wow. wow. Teens and adults. Woo. That's so awesome. Well, thank you for being here, Jeff. I'm going to go ahead and kick it off with asking you, uh, can you explain a little bit more what you do for work and how you got into it? Uh, well, sure. Um, I started out um, as a dispatcher in 1999 with my law enforcement agency that I'm with here in Harris County. Uh, and then I went out to the streets. I was on the streets for about eight years, and then there was an opening for uh, a tech crime slot. Now, I'm not, as much as I would like, I'm not even going to mince words. I was not a tech savvy individual at all. Uh, But when I was on the streets, I really, really enjoyed the investigative side of things. I like to work, you know, residential burglaries, um, thefts, you know, forgeries and that kind of stuff. I had a lot of success um, doing that out there on the street. And, um, you know, I really, like I said, really enjoyed the residential burglary type stuff because, I mean, you and I, you know, we all go to work and uh, do what we're supposed to do and then come back and find your back doors kicked in and all your stuff's gone and, you know, the kids are scared because they think the boogeyman's going to come in, the wife, her sense of security is gone, the husband's castle's been violated and um, so I really worked those a lot and uh, I solved a little over 50% of the ones that were assigned to me. So when the tech crime slot came up, I went through the process, did the interview. This was in 2008 um, when the internet tide was really just starting to roll. And uh, the Houston Metro Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force uh, had just got their charter. And at that point, um, the 
in, in the interview process. I uh, didn't really do too well in the tech questions, honestly. You know, I was sitting there with my flip phone in my pocket and, you know, the guy that was going to hire me, you know, had first generation Android and, uh, you know, the Blackberries were everywhere and stuff. But uh, when it came down to it, there was basically two people and one had a lot of technology, the other, other one really didn't, and that'd be me. And uh, my lieutenant at the time said that uh, I could teach anybody about computers, but I don't have time to teach basic investigative process. Um, and Jeff already has that. So I've always looked at my experience in the tech crimes field, and I think my unique approach to it, my unique circumstances getting into it is a unique perspective on how, you know, people who may not be tech savvy, um, such as new parents and everything like that, it's, it's, just a, it's a mental roadblock and it can be overcome because, if, you know, if I can get into it, and when I was on the on-ramp to the information superhighway, when I was assigned as a tech crimes investigator, anybody can. So uh, that was in 2008. Um, now through various roles and various experiences, uh, I'm now supervising um, a high-tech crimes unit here in the Houston area. And uh, so yeah, here we are. Now I have my boss's job, so. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. You've come a long way. So we we mentioned already that you have your book that was recently published, Online Predators and Internet Insurgency. Um, kids today, more so than ever before, have constant online access, whether it's through their phones, tablets, computers, inside of school, outside of school. And it's scary for a number of reasons, including but not limited to these online predators. So which this is the main focus, of course, of your book and the work that you do on a daily basis. But how do we go about teaching our kids about the risks of being online? The easiest thing is, is just clear and open and honest and constant communication. Uh, I got my first email address when I was 34 years old. Um, I know that because number 34 was actually in the email address. Um, so. <laughs> What we have here is a disconnect, a slight disconnect between, um, you know, us who uh, had no life before technology um, and our kids who will never know. Uh, you know, it's a job requirement, this, especially with the pandemic and things like that that were going on. Um, and even, even outside the pandemic, I mean, uh, education was marching towards the online environment, you know, for a long time. So in essence, we have technology that's a job requirement now, you know, for kids, and it'll continue to be a job requirement for them as they grow into young adults because uh, their online presence is, is going to be the, 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 uh, their business card, essentially. We can get into that here in a little while, but uh, what we, <clears throat> how you go about it is basically is, is that you establish an open and honest communication right from the outset, uh, age appropriate. You're not going to go tell a you know a three, four, five year old about an online sexual predator, um, but you do you know have basic facets of, of stranger danger, um, you know just like our parents told us never to go near that white van, you know don't uh, take the candy from that guy and he doesn't need any help finding his lost dog. That's it's uh, you start there and you move forward, and as you get older, you know the kids and stuff, uh, you, know, you progress into more age appropriate discussions, and. Um, just tell them, tell them what's out there. You know, tell them, you know, what uh, what it is that they're they're going to be facing and why it's important to say something. 
and you make that a regular topic of conversation. You know, when it comes, you know, a technological device is, is, is not, a, not a right, it's a privilege. Um, at least it should be viewed that way. And, you know, some of the best things you can do, you know, when your kids start to ask you for a phone is not to buy it right away. Uh, instead, use that time to establish the conversations that we've been talking about using current events. You can find those online about, you know, you do any kind of research and find the don't let this happen to you type stuff on the internet. And uh, if you make a child wait, it's just like anything else. You know, if it's a skateboard or even if it's you know, a motor vehicle, a car, the longer the child waits for it, chances are the better off he's going to appreciate it, he or she's going to appreciate it and actually conduct themselves better with it rather than something that's given to them you know, when the child asks for a phone on a Thursday and is given to them on Saturday. That kind of brings me to my next question. Um, like after reading your book, I know that I was definitely, you use the words in the book, sickened, scared, and angry at several times. And what I found really disturbing was a particular chapter in the book called uh, Methodology of the Child Predator. And this chapter goes over several cases uh, in which predators can really be anyone. It's not that stranger danger thing. It's actually like someone that we invite in our homes. It's uh, church people, it's school people. Um, so what I want to know is um, how can we give advice to parents on having conversations with our children um, when it comes to uh, being aware of inappropriate behavior with people that, you know, our children may be familiar with? Like, how do we check in with them? And um, for us with the younger kids, because I worry about that too, like our kids are starting preschool and stuff like that. So how can we address these conversations when they're not really aware of emotional or physical abuse? Well, the neat thing about the whole technology thing is, is that it's just another facet towards parenting. The, the art of parenting that's been around since we were, you know, you know, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, you know, raising our children up, right, you know, right to avoid dangers, to avoid things that will hurt them. Um, and you know, taking the technology out of it, uh, what would you do when you, when you have that conversation about, you know, what happens if we get separated, like at the grocery store? Or what happens if, you know, um, you find yourself lost? What, ha what happens if you get on the wrong school bus? Who do you talk to? Who do you not talk to? Um, who are the, you know, your, your trusted authority figures? That being said, when you, um, when you start having these conversations, you know, you, you talk to them about, um, you know, they're, when, you get, when, you're, when you're real little and the kids are, are young, Obviously, they should not be using technology um, outside of your presence. Um, when you're talking about three, four, and five, and six-year-olds, and they're they're using the technology. I mean, I had a I have a niece that you know one of the things reasons why I decided to write this book is is it because I have a niece uh, who I went over to her my sister's house and she was literally teething on the corners of an iPad. I mean, that's just it's in their hands, and she actually didn't take her very long to figure out how to push the buttons and get, you know, Uncle Jeff on the phone. So, you know, you have that. Um, and so as you progress past that age, and when they're going to start using it a little bit more on their own, you know, first, second, third grade, especially if they're online schooling, um, you start talking to them about the same reasons, same things you talk to them about not talking to strangers, you know, in real life or IRL. Um, and you know why that's important why that's you know why uh why that's so dangerous to, to talk to strangers and give them information. 
then middle schoolers and high schoolers, uh, we pay attention to, uh, as investigators, we unfortunately start pay a lot of attention and focus most of our efforts at the middle school level, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Unfortunately, that's our most preyed upon demographic. And it's pretty easy to figure out why. I mean, these kids are going through changes, they're starting to do things on their own, they're rebellious, they have thoughts that they don't really want to talk to their parents about, um, problems at school, you know, problems with their kids. And so, you know, when a kid is, is you know, when we were much, when all of us were much younger, we can actually physically be alone in our room, um, totally alone. I mean, with nobody else in there, we didn't have things that could connect us outside this room. But nowadays, if you have a kid who's got his device, he's in a room, doors are shut, he's not alone. He or she is not alone. So they're going to be making decisions, a lot more decisions at that age uh, that are outside of your presence. And so the, the foundation starts before that. And even if it, you, you know, didn't exactly have a, um, a foundation set, you know, now and you want to, it's not too late. Uh, these kids will, the kids will listen to you. They listen to me. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've given this presentation in some, you know, in, in some, some pretty rough environments where, you know, the kids have reputations for uh, not exactly what we call classroom decorum. Uh, and I've had them bone silent they're interested in the topic. They're interested in what's out there. And it's up to you to, to expose them to that age appropriate. Makes sense. And there's a topic in a particular part in the book, I should say, uh, that I want to discuss, but really I want to discuss it all. But this one stood out to me. Um, and I'm going to read it if you don't mind. The home is not a democracy. Parents need to view it as a dictatorship from the top down, but not in an authoritarian one-way sense of the word there needs to be an atmosphere of love and respect between parent and child but the parent needs to understand there is no such thing as total privacy when it comes to devices and to the data held by juvenile children is this as simple as saying to our kids in order for you to have a device or a tablet we have full rights to access your device at any given time and it's only to protect you against the evils of the world how are we able to say this to them while at the same time build their trust in us? Like, I, I just, I understand this and I agree with it, but I also want my kids to be able to trust me. I want to be able to trust them. So is it, is it as simple as just saying, Hey, look, here's this device. It's pretty much out on loan from us to you know that we can access this at any time so long as you are under the age of 18 living in, uh, under my roof is that the type of conversation that we need to have with them is that how we position it yes i believe so um simply you know getting back to the trust issue you know trust is not something that's automatically given i mean we raise them already to, to not to not do that just to people they don't know you know, trust is, is earned. It's a, it's a two-way street. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't give unfettered access to, you know, to your child, you know, with a car just when they first, you know, got their driver's license and place restrictions on where you can go, where you can go, who you can have in your car, and most importantly, who you shouldn't have in your car, and when you have to be back. Uh, you know, that's, and when they follow those rules, um, and they come back, and they come back, hopefully unscathed without any problems, 
Um, and then at that point, you know, the leash gets a little longer, um, backing it up to middle school uh, when it comes to, you know, them wanting to go to the movies with their friends or go, um, you know, whatever it is that the child wants to do with their friends and, and not with their parents. And, uh, you know, at that point, you know, you establish, you know, your guidelines. Okay, you can ride your bike over to little Johnny's house, but you need to text me when you get there. And if they don't, well, then at that point, you know, the phone calls start coming in. I said, hey, I told you to text me when you got to Johnny's house. Oh, I'm sorry, mom, we started playing video games. That's not gonna work. You need to text me when you get there, right? Plain and simple. But you have it on the app. Well, I don't care about the app. I know that you're there, but I, well, back that up. You know, the phone is there, the mm -hmm. device is there. You know that it's at that particular location, but I don't know if you're with the device. That makes sense. So, um, you know, and if they don't continually follow the rules and they physically leave the house and go, and then what happens then? They don't get to go anymore until they start following. Uh, same thing goes with the device. You're going to hand it to them and say, "Look here, I'm handing you the whole world. Okay, I'm handing you the whole world with everything in it that's good and bad." And unfortunately, the bad stuff out there is. Um, permanent and it can be permanent because what you're doing is you're creating a permanent artifact we're creating a permanent artifact right now the things you say the things i say are going to be recorded and broadcast to your wide audience and they can in turn make that download that podcast and keep it and keep my words and keep your words because um, once this goes live it's out there it's like being at a kid's party you know when you go around at the end of the day and collect all the helium balloons walk outside and let them go because it's really, really cool. Um, but at the same time, once those balloons let go, they separate. One goes this way, one goes that way, and they go higher up in the air. And unless you're Superman or Wonder Woman or can otherwise levitate, you're not getting those balloons back. So when they understand, they should understand about the permanency of artifacts um, that we're creating and that they create, they can't get it back. And so you're wanting to talk to them that, hey, you're going to take this device and I'm going to trust that you're going to do schoolwork with it. You can hang out with your friends. You can do this, that, and the other. But the moment that I pick it up and I see that you're doing things that you're not supposed to do, um, that in turn is a violation of the trust that I placed in you with this device. And therefore, there will be consequences. And believe it or not, uh, <laughs> they'll respond to it. And they'll actually take it to heart because you can tell what I can tell when I do a forensic analysis on a cell phone, um, if a child is concerned about detection, if a child is concerned about anything, uh, you can tell a child's phone when it comes to me that they're used to nobody snooping around because everything is just wide out. Uh, so yes, you know, the conversation has to be that you know, when I say that it's a, you know, the Fourth Amendment stops at your front door, and that's true, because there is no search that is unreasonable when it comes to the safety and security of children. How, so kind of riffing off that, how do we know and trust them 
uh, like when they're in school, when they're away from us, when they're at little Johnny's house, how do we know that they're not on their phone doing X, Y, Z, or talking to someone they shouldn't be talking to or sending inappropriate messages or receiving inappropriate messages? Um, same thing in the school environment. Uh, I don't know how it is nowadays with school, what the teacher's policies are. And I'm sure it's different from classroom to classroom, from school to school, where it's like, nope, you need to hand in your phones or put it on shut it off and whatever the case is, but like, how do we know when they're not with us, what it is that they're doing? Is this at a point where we now rely on apps or parental controls that are within the phone? I, I don't know. <laughs> Those can definitely help. Um, there okay. are a myriad of applications that are out there, but, uh, I view uh, parental apps, you know, like net nanny and things like that, um, out there as well, like in police work, we, you know, we call them snitches. Okay. These are people who offer law enforcement information in exchange for, you know, usually money. Um, but at the end of the day, their information is only as good as what we can verify. So, you know, if we got a snitch that gives us some information. We have to go out and verify that whether it's true and correct. And if we can act on the, the parental apps, there's a, there's a lot of tendency with parents and stakeholders to um, over-rely on them, such as I've deployed these devices. This is what I'm going to use. They'll tell me anything I need to know. I don't need to have that difficult conversation or the un uncomfortable, seemingly uncomfortable um, uh, task of taking out my son's device or my daughter's device. And that's just not true. Uh, because if you look on YouTube, these kids are constantly posting these workarounds for uh, for these particular apps. Um, they can even you know get right around them. Um, there's new exploits that are coming out all the time. No, nothing is going to completely 100% keep this you know keep anything untoward from happening. Uh, and it goes right back to when you're having the conversations with your kid as they as they get older. Um, you know. Digital freedom is an extremely, extremely important part of the young person's life. You know, if you've ever, if those of you who are out there who have teenagers and you've taken away their device for punishment, man, you'll never hear the end of it. It's like they've lost their 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 right arm. They just can't. They can't. Right. They can't, can't function. function. Right. Right. So if you have clear and cut expectations and a regular conversation, such as you know. You could be driving home from work, listening to the radio, and there could be an article on there about a, a raid that maybe you know my task force did. Talk to them about that when they get home. Hey, did you hear about that? Man, they caught this guy who was, you know, um, exploiting and blackmailing you know teenage girls and all that kind of stuff. Have you ever heard about that before? You know, have you ever come across that kind of stuff before? And you'll be surprised how much they respond to you. I mean, I'll give you a case in point. You know, I do internet safety presentations at schools. I've done presentations to, you know, to over 40,000 um, kids and adults over the last you know, 12 years. And one of the questions I'll ask him, I said, have you ever received a creeper message? And for those of you who don't know what a creeper message is, that's a message that comes in from out of left field, somebody that you don't know, says some things that's probably, and usually is inappropriate. And if you're really unlucky, it's got a picture of something that you just really didn't want to see. And uh, most of the kids will raise their hands. You know, even at the sixth grade, even at the fifth grade. And wow. so what I say is, is, is like, okay, so, um, you know, well, I might modify it now because the census data came out, you know, yesterday, 331 million people in this country. 
So why would a middle schooler from Houston, Texas, uh, out of 330 million people, and on top of that, out of the 7 billion people on the face of the planet, got chosen to receive this creeper message? Because uh, if that make you feel singled out, I don't know what would. And um, that's a great conversation to start with the kids. Hey, you gotten any weird messages on your phone lately? Oh yeah, well, let me see them. What did you do? You know what to do. You know, and then the conversation starts from there. I want to add to that as well. So in addition to your book and some apps, is there any like database-based um, maybe website or articles that parents that aren't so tech savvy can uh, use to keep up to date with things that are constantly changing uh, when it comes to internet safety for our kids? Yeah. Sure. And to add to that question, sorry, it, it, earlier, Jeff, you had said in real life, and then you followed it up with IRL. Yeah. And I don't like know if anyone else stuff. caught that, but uh -huh. these are the things that a lot yeah. of parents, do, even Tech parents lingo. my age, they don't oh, know. Yeah. So we would love for you to share this, please. Technology has an enemy and that's the technology itself. You can use the technology against itself in order to get to where you want to go. There are websites. One of my favorites is wired.com. Um, that is a, a tech magazine and they cover, you know, new applications and things that are coming out there in the sphere. I mean, with new apps, there's thousands of them that come out every day. And, you know, it's hard to keep up with them. They, once in a while, I get a case that comes across my desk and, you know, be like, well, what app are they using? And they'll tell me, I was like, I never heard of that. And then you, you look and you find out that app's been on the market for, you know, a couple months or a year, and you just never had a case that, that's used it. Uh, and uh, so uh, there's also sections like, you know, even on, you know, Fox News or CNN or whatever it is that you look at. Um, if you look down the, the webpage, there's usually something there about, you know, family and um, technology and things like that. And you look down there and they'll have some list of articles. A Google search is extremely popular according to Google's you know, search stats is, is parenting tips for blank. So if you were looking, you know, on your kid's phone and, you know, well, that's just because one of the things that you should do when it comes to the device is, is that you should have the account locked down to the point, you know, the iCloud account or whatever, that they can't download any applications without your say so, without your permission. Uh, which will give you some time because you can build in a, a code in your in say the iCloud account or the Google account that says you can't download anything unless you enter password. And if you have the password, the kid doesn't have the password. If they want a particular game, they got to come and ask for it. That gives you a chance to get on your own phone and Google whatever it is they're looking for. Um, and if you you know see what it's used for and it's to decide it's something you don't want your kid to have, it's like sorry, Junior. You can't have this one right now. Come back in a little while. We'll talk about it. So you got to build a pause, you know, with the technology. You have to build a pause um, for yourself in order to, you know, figure out what it is they want to do and what that app can be used for. Um, and unfortunately, pretty much every single app can be uh, misused. Uh, there's just no way around it. And uh, so when you when you have <clears throat> that kind of thing and you know just google the you know parenting apps and then just see what it is you want your kids to have what you don't want them to have my suggestion when it comes to particular devices is that you should purchase a device for your child that you have yourself 
So if you have, say, a Samsung you know, S10 or S12, and you're comfortable with buying that a device for your child with that kind of capability, you should buy a device that you're already familiar with. Which is, if you have an iPhone, then, you know, a lot of these kids, they want the iPhones these days, but if you're a Google dude, uh, sorry, that kid's getting an Android. And that's just all there is to it until they've proven themselves later on down the road and gone through, you know, your hoops and gone through your, your expectations and, you know, built that trust up like we talked about earlier. Is there a, a, like an online, like if we go to, I don't know, Houston PD's website or whatever it is, uh, like an online course that even we could have our kids take as they get older, or maybe there's one f- specific, you know, appropriate age. So three to five-year-olds can watch a course on it Stranger or, danger or yeah, something like that. If not, hey, you can create that. Yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. But but somebody's already beat me to the punch, and that oh. would be the National Center for Missing Exploited Children. Okay. Uh, okay. That that's our that's our the parent organization. That's the one that collects all the information that we get, um, you know, by their cyber tip line, and we can talk about that here in a little bit if you want um, about some of the ways our cases come to us and what we do and how we get them. Uh, but the National Center for Missing Exploited Children. You can't say enough about that place. I mean, it's a, they, they've got untold amounts of resources which they will give in a drop of a hat. And that includes not just us, but the general public too. They have a website and it's www.netsmarts, all one word, but with a Z at the end, not S. So N-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-Z.org. Um, that is a huge resource for age-appropriate um, content that you can download, um, PowerPoints, videos, uh, pamphlets, things that you can read together from kindergarten all the way up to, you know, you know middle schoolers and high school. Uh, it's an excellent resource. Uh, I can't say enough about it. Uh, it. It's constantly updated every day. There's a section in there for parents, um, you know, they, you know, danger apps, you know, new things that have come out, the trends that they're seeing and so on and so forth. Uh, I would highly put that on a bookmark on anybody's browser. That's awesome. Thank okay. you for awesome. sharing that. Definitely. I just wrote it down and I'm going to add it and look right. through that. Let's talk about stereotypes for a second. There is a section in your book where you say a lot of middle schoolers, I think middle age or middle age, middle school aged children think that predators are typically old men, fat men, old <laughs> bald, fat white men, um, which they can be creepy, but yeah, but they're also your local pastor, your local dentist, a surgeon, uh, even factory worker. It doesn't matter. Um, they come in all shapes and sizes and come from an array of socioeconomic class. It, It just doesn't matter. So while I was reading your book, though, one thing I kept thinking is, what about women predators? I'm, I'm assuming they're out there. Like we we know of, um, oh gosh, what was the woman? And she ended up, this is like years ago. And she ended up in jail. The name is totally blanking. They ended up having a kid <clears throat> when, and he was in, she was in jail. He would visit her. Oh my goodness. It's going to come yeah. to me. You know, I know, talk- I, know, I know which one you're talking about. And for life of me, it's uh, uh, escaping me too. Maybe if one of y'all want to Google it while, while, while we're talking. 
Um, but anyway, go ahead with your question. Yeah. So, so do you see many women predators? And then if so, what are the stats surrounding them? Um, that that's outside of, of, uh, you know, teacher, you know, educator, student type, you know, relationships. Um, a true female online predator is, is kind of a, for lack of a better term, a unicorn. Um, there's a portion of my presentation that I do um, at schools um, is, is that, you know, it kind of starts like this. I'll tell, you know, it's generally what we do in the schools is, is that um, we'll do six to seven identical presentations back to back to back all day long, and it's done in the PE period. Kids are already in a good mood because they don't have to dress out. They don't have to get all sweaty and stuff. All they got to do is sit in the bleachers and, and listen to me. Um, so what will, you know, they're, and they're generally, you know, girls PE, athletics or whatever, and boys, and they come in, boys and girls, and they sit basically the same same way. So you've got a, one half of the room girls, the other half of the room boys. And I'll basically tell the girls, say, look, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. If your boyfriend says he's not going to show that picture to anyone, he's lying to you. And that's how you know when he's lying to you. We are stupid creatures. We are born this way and it doesn't change. Um, and then I'll look at the guys and I'll say, you know, every single time that I've worked a case in which a young man's parents have come to me and said that their son met a girl online and exchanged dirty pictures with that particular person. Um, every single time that I've investigated it and blown in a door, um, I've never found a girl behind the device. It's always a dude. So if you're talking to some girl that you don't know, that you've never met before, and then you send them pictures that you shouldn't, you're sending them to, to basically a dude. Because they always, you know, it's a line in our business. On the internet, the men are men and so are the women. And wow. so, so, yeah, uh, Women, they're out there. I'm not going to say that they're not. Um, I won't get into, you know, too much about the types of, you know, imagery that I've seen, you know, over the years, but they are out there. Uh, but by and large, most 95, 96, 97% of our predators are overwhelmingly male. Wow. By the way, Mary Kay Letourneau. That's her. Yeah. Yes. That was, she, kind of, uh, that was kind of the ground zero for pretty much everything. Yes. And she was, so for people who are like, what? She was an American teacher who pleaded guilty in 1997 to two counts of felony second degree rape of a child, Vili, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not going to say his name right, Fualau, uh, who was 12 or 13 at the time and had been her sixth grade student at a Burien Washington elementary school. While away sentencing, she gave birth to... Villy's child with the state seeking a six and a half year present, uh, prison sentence. She reached a plea agreement calling for six months in jail with three months suspended and no contact with him for life among other terms. And then I think she ended up marrying him along the way, like after they got out. Um, but anyway, just, oh. and there's been like documentaries and, and I think a lifetime movie on it and, and everything oh, yeah. just, crazy well also speaking of like female um predators you have a section with human sex traffic uh human trafficking and i think that's a good point to also mention that like a lot of times the predator the first predator can be a female so i think that was very interesting that you um put that in the book as well yeah and you know we we do see that a lot we do see you know whether i guess for lack of a better term recruiters 
um, people's women whose job it is, is to convince uh, these young females that it's that it's a uh, you know in their best interest. For, obviously not, but uh, to get them to to go. I mean, we're seeing this with the information that's coming out with the Jeffrey Epstein deal. Miss um, Maxwell allegedly what she did. At the end of the day, you know, eventually the truth will come out and we'll find out just, just how much it worked. But uh, if you watch the documentaries on Netflix, like I have, um, you know, a lot of those female victims, you know, point the finger at an actual female, whether it was her or somebody else in his organization that was in service to him and recruiting these girls for, for those purposes. So crazy to talk about this. I, I could, feel like I, I need like breaks it, from it. Cause I'm like, uh, yeah, it is heavy. And I definitely could talk about this. Um, all the time or, or not all the time for, for a long time. There we go. Not all the time. Cause yeah, I need a break. By the way, how do you like, I guess as a, an investigator or police officer, anyway, I'm sure you're trained somehow to maybe compartmentalize or just like really shut off that portion of your brain that you're just, cause I mean, this stuff has to wear on you. Right. So, and I'm sure there are certain cases that probably just really affect you more than others. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you deal with it mentally and emotionally? It's difficult. Um, it is, uh, but uh, the, a lot of us, the way we view it is, is that uh, I've never met a finer group of individuals or a more dedicated group of individuals than people who deal with online child exploitation. Um, as awful as the material is, and as awful as, as the things that we do, catching these particular individuals and bringing them to justice is actually uh, a big part of the, the medicine, for lack of a better term. Uh, a lot of us, you know, when we see the end result of that and knowing the fact that, that individual um, hopefully is taken out of the predator pool for, you know, for life um, is, uh, is a big part of it. Uh, the other part is you find a lot of us just have non-digital pastimes. I think you probably saw my Instagram the other day. Um, I've got a garden out back. It is, you know, impossible for, and when I go out there, you know, I separate myself from my device. I separate myself from my digital life and, um, and uh, just kind of go out there and just dig in the dirt and do something just completely analog. And on top of that, you know, being, I hate to say it, but being a male is, is a little bit uh, uh, helpful because it is physically possible for us to do things and just not think about a damn thing. <laughs> and there would be nothing going on inside of our heads, you know. <laughs> that sounds uh, like my husband. I, yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, I do envy men and how they can do that. <laughs> well, you know, it's like over the weekend, I was outside in the backyard. I had a section of fence that I had to replace because... Um, the top board had rotted out and I was out there just working on it, putting it together and figuring out and, you know, fixing problems and stuff. And, and, you know, uh, it occurred to me about 20 or 30 minutes into it. I said, you know what? I haven't thought about anything in the last 30 minutes, but what I'm doing. Uh, so you'll find that we have a lot of physical pursuits, um, things that, uh, require exertion, um, things that don't require an access to technology. Uh, so, yeah, but, you know, I've been in for, for a while now, simply because I've been able, you know, the ebb and flow of things, I've been able to ascend into the supervisory ranks where, you know, my day-to-day -day interaction with this type of, of, of criminal activity is, is 
far more limited than it used to be, you know, back in the day uh, when it was, you know, when I was the, the rank and file investigator. So that's all, that's, that's helped. Um, so I, I come and go and come back from it. But that being said, the average life of a, of a full-time um, online child exploitation investigator, investigative life is between three to five years. Because at that point, they've decided that he's, you know, they've had enough. And, uh, and at that point, I found myself ascending to the supervisory ranks um, at about that month. Um, so, you know, some, some cops will, will take a break and go do something else and then request reassignment back to the unit. And sometimes they'll be like, you know what, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. Um, it's all up to the individual. Got it. I do want to talk to you about um, the parent reaction you talk a lot about in your book. How should we as parents, stakeholders, um, address or navigate conversations when it comes to something that we find that's inappropriate on our child, on our kids' phones, basically? That's a great question. Um, and I, I wish I got asked that more often. I think that's one of the reasons why I put it in the book. But what things that you as parents or we as parents have to realize is, is that these predators are saying and doing and showing these kids um, some pretty nasty things and basically reading a porn script to, to the child. But at the end of the day, um, as gross as it is, it is positive reinforcement. Here's why. Because if you could think back to when you were a teenager and the first time somebody told you that you were pretty or handsome or, you know, whatever that wasn't your mom or your dad or somebody that you thought had to say that, I mean, that was pretty heavy stuff. That was, you know, that was a big deal. And I've had victims, child victims tell me that they wouldn't be saying that kind of stuff to me if they wasn't attractive or if I wasn't pretty and they weren't getting it from anywhere else. Um, you know, they got hooked on it because it, that, that dopamine receptors grabs that positive reinforcement and then and off you go. So um, that's why Generally, when these things are, if they're not caught beforehand by a, by a nosy parent or a, you know, a protective parent, usually by the time they get to my attention, these relationships are very, very far advanced to the point where there's been some serious mental manipulation, some serious blackmail. There's been all kinds of things that this child has gone through to the point that, uh, you know, basically part of the grooming process is to remove all safety nets the child has. Um, you'll start noticing um, more and more time the child spent in the room away from people. You know, so-and-so that used to be their best friend, you haven't seen them in a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Um, grades start slipping. Um, and at that point, when your, your radar has gone off enough, once you go sniffing around and you discover this relationship, one thing that you have to understand is, is that that child has been pretty much at that point when they're cut off and you're starting to see these negative behaviors, they're pretty much backed against the wall. Um, they have nobody, perceived nobody in their corner. So the parental reaction is extremely important because at that point in time, you are the safety net. You are, even though things have gone horribly wrong, as a parent, you are still down there below them waiting to catch them when they fall. And when that happens, if they are met with, you know, anger, uh, 
and yelling and screaming, how could you do this? You know, how did this happen? You know, all that other kind of stuff. What that does basically is it shuts the child down um, because at that point, they're really, it just finally hit them that they've just totally made a mess of their life. Nobody around that's gonna care anymore. And what that does is, is that um, when the child is shut down mentally at that point, when law enforcement becomes involved, we need them to be um, in a decent enough place that we can actually get some information out. They have to trust you in order to trust us. Because what you're going to tell them is, is that the police are on their way or we, you know, they've taken the report and a day or two later, the investigator calls, such as myself, it's like, all right, well, we need to, to push forward and figure this out. We need to talk to the child and all that kind of stuff. And the child has to be prepared mentally for what that's going to happen. If you explode. Um, that's pretty much the worst thing that you can do. And then going back to the topics of regular conversation that you're going to have with your child, if you're talking to them one, two, three times a week or so about these things that we've been discussing here, that child knows one thing. It knows that child knows that they can come to you with this, and they're going to. And when they do, they know that you're not going to blame them because you have to keep in mind this instance you know granted the child may have done some things that you know the child shouldn't do the child knows he or she shouldn't do it but it happened and it's one person and one person's fault only that's the part of the person that broke his bond the society to protect and nurture our young people he's the one to blame not your child your child did it because virtually you know in the instance because they are a child and so, you know, to answer your question succinctly, um, it's going to be very, very hard for you to explode mentally when you discover this type of thing or when it's brought to you because you've already prepared yourself for it. You already have, by having those conversations, you're like, when you ask your question, you check in with your, ch your child, you pick up the child's phone, you go through it, um, so far, so good, and all that kind of stuff. When that child walks away with the natural inclination is, what am I going to do? when that's not true. The same reason that you, you know, when you buy that trampoline that your kids have been begging for when they're younger, <laughs> and then you're like, okay, well, the child eventually will hurt themselves on this thing. safety net or not. What am I going to do? It's easy at that point. You're just going to pick the child up, take them to the emergency room and get a cast or, you know, ace bandage or whatever it is that's required and you're going to move on. Um, your contingency plans for this event, um, are obviously more complex, but at the same time, you have them all. And you're not going to explode because you're like, hey, I've been there before. I've read the stuff on the internet. I talked to my kid. I know what I'm going to do because the anger comes from uncertainty. And if you can eliminate some of that uncertainty, the better off you're going to be when the child finally does bring something to your attention or it's brought to your attention by somebody. Thank you. Great. Um reminders and, and tips. I know that um, for me, I try to keep in mind that our job as parents isn't to be their best friend. It's to be the person they can go to that safety net. So I think that that's really good. Yeah. yeah they've got a lot of, they've got enough friends, you know, they need you um, and your kids are going to respond to it. I mean, they may roll their eyes and stuff when you say, all right, give me your phone. 
but you know what? Deep down inside, they they know kids that are out there, their friends and stuff, whose parents just aren't quite as involved as they should be. Um, and you'll you'll meet these kids as your as your kids get older. I know I did. Um, when they show up, you can tell kids who their home environment isn't exactly well, as positive as you would like to, to hope it would be. Um, and one of those positivity factors is an involved parent because at the end of the day, they're going to complain, they're going to gripe, they're going to vulgarize at you, but at the end of the day, they know that you love them and that you love them enough that you're going to do the hard things um, because they're going to see it in your face that you're not comfortable doing it, you know, because you know, a lot of people, parents are like, well, I want to respect my kids' privacy and so on and so forth. That's, that's a misnomer. There is no such thing when it comes to a child in their lives, period. And, you know, as they get a little bit older, they're going to know that it's a hard thing for you to do, and they're going to they're gonna respect that. You may not think so, but at the end of the day, think about it when you were a kid and you were walking out the door. I know from my experience, when my parents, you know, instead of just going, eh, see you later, you know, whatever, and they asked me where I was going, who I was going with, this, that, and the other, yeah, it was a little bit of a pain in the butt, but at the end of the day, <laughs> they they knew you knew that they cared about you. And this yep. is the same. That's exactly how I grew up. Uh my parents. I mean, I always thought, oh, they're so strict. And why does Jess and Sarah, why do they always get to do XYZ? And why did why could they do this? And how come they can stay out? And why can they sleep at the boyfriend's place and all this stuff? But yeah, looking back, it's like. My parents, they, yeah, they cared and, uh, boundaries that you want your kid to feel safe. Yeah. And in hindsight too, I'm like, man, I really actually had a great upbringing versus compared to a lot of my friends where it was like, they just ran and didn't really, you know, have a conversation with their parents. So, um, there is a particular case in the book that you write about that I would like to, bring up and highlight. Um, so it was where a teacher was involved and without the teacher intercepting something worse could have happened. And I think it's crucial to know the great lengths that these predators will go just to be able to meet up with these minors in hopes of engaging in sexual activities or whatever it is that they're hoping to do. Um, and how important of a role that it is of, of teachers, educators, stakeholders, us, parents, guardians um, play by just being in the right place at the right time. Um, do you know that what I'm trying to get at the, the pilot situation? Can you, okay. Can you, I know, I know when I was, when I read that, I was like, what can you go ahead and, and set the the scene and then talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, that, that case is actually several years old. Um, uh, the term Blackberry is going to come into play here. Uh, <laughs> okay. So long story short, you had, uh, those, you know, you've lived in Texas, you know, you both you have and you know what the STARS test is, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a standardized nightmare that the, the state, you know, puts forth. And it's, I think my niece is taking it today or yeah, now it's STAR test. Yeah. Outside the pandemic, you know, beforehand, it was one of those things where the emails came home, make sure your kid gets a good breakfast, gets a good night's sleep, because 
it's not necessarily their academic future which hangs on it it's theirs it's the it's the schools and and you know funding and all that kind of stuff so obviously you know and so there's there's protocols that are involved kids are not allowed to have their phones they're not allowed distractions. They're not allowed anything. And the kids know that breaking these rules has a tendency to, uh, you know, to come down pretty hard um, because what wouldn't get you in too much trouble outside of the standardized testing will get you basically, the, you know, life without possibility of parole when it comes to, you know, school. So there was a standardized testing that was going on. This child had snuck his device into the classroom, I think, was actually using it. Um, during the, the testing and the, ch- the teacher caught it. So she goes up there, picks up the phone. And instead of just, you know, you know, saying, you know, dumb kid or, you know, whatever, not necessarily that, but, you know, um, and don't you know what the, you know, what the penalties are and stuff. And then, you know, instead of just going about her business, she actually, you know, had the device in her hand and looked and, the, and the, she had a perfectly legal reason to be where she was at. She was taking, she was dealing with the child um, through a discipline issue, she picked up a phone, walked back to the front of the room to the desk, and the home screen was still on. And that's when she saw some pretty, really, really nasty messages. Um, so she did what she thought was best. She contacted law enforcement. Law enforcement, of course, we got involved. Um, we actually took over the chats for, um, you know, as an, in, a, in an undercover capacity um, because they had imminent plans to meet. And at that point, you know, the, the suspect was out of state and was actually an airline pilot. He used his uh, airline miles to, or his airline benefits to fly free to Houston, at which point we had that individual uh, under constant surveillance from the moment he got off the plane, collecting his baggage, getting his car rental, and uh, basically traveling from the airport to the child's house. And the child's parents were slated to be out of town or out and about at some kind of a function that night. The child was going to be home alone, 12, 13 years old. And um, uh, that's when, if that teacher hadn't done what she did, um, that kid's life would have changed forever. And, uh, you know, so we're all in a, in a unique position. That's why I call, you know, parents and teachers and guardians and all that stuff. I call them stakeholders um, in my book because um, it's a catch-all term for everything. Anybody who has an interest in the life of a child is a stakeholder. And the positive outcome of the life of a child is a stakeholder. So we are all given unique opportunities, whether ordained by God, um, by happenstance, or whatever it is that you believe. A lot of us are put in the right place at the right time for a specific reason. And that teacher definitely was. And us who spend a lot of time, you know, any time around kids, are going to be in that unique position. And you have to seize those opportunities to listen to that. That's amazing. I'm glad that they caught that guy. Um, I do want to ask, so you said you mentioned you do um, presentations at school. Is, is this a possible or a possibility that this can be taught like standardized as well as teaching children? Um, like um, there's, I, I saw this um, little thing on the internet, um, but it was like, maybe schools should be teaching more about like body appropriate, you know, like, Hey, don't touch this and that, you know, starting at early ages, is there certain things that are starting to be implemented in schools or we're not there yet? Educational time is, is precious in a, you know, in a, in a school year and those, in those school districts, God bless them. They do everything that they possibly can to fit everything in that they're mandated. 
there is no, most states do not have a set internet safety curriculum. They have a set um, inter- curriculum for sex education, but that's been a problem that's been around for a long, long time. Um, technology is extremely Johnny come lately, um, even though we've been dealing with it in earnest for the last 15 years. Well, you know, the law and government was very, very slow to react. So, and the time to teach it, you know, is very, very limited. But at the same time, the school districts are making the technology a job requirement. So therefore, you know, as I state in my book, that anybody who puts a device in a child's hands has a duty to teach the child about the device and to monitor its use. Uh, That's just cut and dry, plain and simple. Some school districts do a better job. Some states do a better job. Some have mandated education, some don't. Some have voluntary education and provide resources to the teachers to use. Uh, but as I stated, you know, there's, there's not too much time. You know, it takes a couple minutes to, you know, like in a homeroom environment or whatever for a current event to bring up an exploitative event and have a five minute long conversation. You never know who you're gonna reach. We do those internet safety presentations for a couple of reasons one to get the information out number two um to you know to, to give the biggest reason is is to give people kids a chance to come forward to give them hopefully a, a step to come forward and it's not uncommon for me to leave you know a day-long internet safety uh, seminars at schools with two or three cases that i'm going to be looking into sometimes even more um, and you can see them you'll see them you know, when I'm standing in front of them, you scan their faces and you'll see the ones that it's really getting into. And sometimes, you know, they'll have counselors and teachers there, that obviously, to keep the kids in line. The presentation that I use, which actually comes from NetSmart, um, which I modify to my own ends, from my own experiences, uh, I'll go, when the videos are playing, I say, you see that kid third from left, you know, second row from the top. She looks like she's about ready to just to start bawling. You, know, you might want to pull her aside afterwards. Sure enough, something something's going on. Going on. Wow. wow. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff, for this uh, excellent conversation. Uh, sure. Very hard, but very needed. Um, and it starts with us talking at home and in the school settings of protecting our children with internet safety. So thank you so much. Well, yeah. you're, think, you're thanking me, and I'm the one that should be thanking both of you, because, I mean, I, I'm not the most important person here today. It's y'all two. The reason why is because you're providing a vehicle for this information. Uh, I have it all in my head, but it doesn't do me any good in there. Um, but, you know, or doesn't, or doesn't, do, doesn't do the public any good when it's sitting in there. And especially, you know, with pandemic restrictions easing, I'm sure eventually we will probably get back into the schools, but for the last year, we really haven't been doing that. And uh, that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I was kind of glad that the, the, the timing of the book was, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, because at that point in time, if I'm not reaching kids, then this is another extension of that. So I'm going to say thank you. Um, I appreciate your thanks, but your, your, your listeners and stuff, you know, you guys deserve every single bit of thanks and gratitude that I have. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate that. Um, another thing I was thinking about while you're talking is, have you ever thought about using your information that you have in your head and creating these little snippets of videos on even your Instagram account? I've thought, about, 
I've thought about doing it. Um, and as a matter of fact, I've been writing, you know, some scripts um, to, uh, you know, because I don't want to, you know, I'm one of those types that if I don't have it set and ready to go, that it's going to fall by the wayside. So I figure if I get a month, two months worth of, you know, uh, videos that I could possibly put together, uh, then I'll probably, you know, schedule it to do it. But I'm just like anybody else. I've got, you know, six ways from Sunday pulling at me with, you know, kids and stuff. But it's important, obviously. Um, I need to make time for it. But, you know, I'm also the type of person that if I don't know what I want to say, when I want to say it, I'm not going to read it from a teleprompter. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. uh, you know, I kind of got to know, you know, what I want to get out there in the 30 seconds that I have there. Well, if you ever decide to do it, it's very needed. I mean, yeah. just like you mentioned at the end of the book, um, you know, internet has its upsides and that's how Megan and I started doing the podcast. And there's been a lot of people we've uh, learned from and, and we're all together in this parenthood journey. So well, so let's, let's start from here though. So where can people find your book? Exactly. Oh, uh, it's in a lot of online environments, Amazon, Walmart, Barnes and Noble. Um, it's also in Kindle and Apple book and Google book form. And, uh, so that's a way you can find it. I have two, uh, Instagram handles, one, you know, Jeffrey A. Lee books, um, which I basically post a little bit of this and a little bit of that from my gardening to my barbecue to my dogs and even some family stuff. Then the online insurgency book, which um, details you know, public safety bulletins and things and uh, that, uh, that I try to get out there as often as I can. Awesome.